Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Regular listeners to the program know that last month we began these Ministry Watch Extra episodes. We'll continue to do our regular Friday weekly roundups of the news. Those are the episodes that I co-host with Natasha Smith. But these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep, you might say, with one of our editorial partners. And today, I'm pleased to have back on the program Julie Royce. Julie Royce runs the Royce Report, an investigative journalism website. She also has a podcast of the same name. When we had Julie on the program back in August, we went through all of her biographical data. So I will just say here, go back and listen to that episode. And then just know that she has all the bona fides you could expect. Undergrad from Wheaton, master's degree from the prestigious Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. And with that, Julie, I'll just say, welcome back to the program. Hey, Warren. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Yeah. And, I, you know, I want to talk about some of the stories uh, that you've been working on since the last time we spoke. And I think chief among them has to be the Ravi Zacharias story. We've both covered that story so much, and I've been talking about it here on the podcast for the last couple of weeks. So I don't want to rehearse the basic facts of that story again, but I do want to talk about some of the questions that I've been getting, and I'm guessing that you've been getting about this story, and also maybe a couple of more recent updates. So can I kind of hit you with a lightning round? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I've been getting plenty of pushback myself, so used to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah, and if you, there are some questions that uh, you've been getting that I'm not going to ask you, uh, feel free to volunteer um, th- those questions. But here's one that I've been getting a lot, um, that these accusations are just rumors and gossip and that you shouldn't be writing about this stuff at all. How do you answer that question? Well, first of all, we don't write about just anything. Something has to rise to the level of being newsworthy, which means it has to be of public interest. So, I mean, some of these things, uh, admittedly, are, you know, a little seedy. We have uh, <laughs> we have a sexting uh, relationship that allegedly was going on with Robbie and another woman. And, you know, we wouldn't write about just anybody having a sexting relationship, allegedly. Um, it would be if, again, this person is a published public interest. Well, Ravi Zacharias is probably the most uh, famous uh, Christian apologist of the 20th century. So yeah, of course, this rises to the level of having significant public interest being a newsworthy story. But in addition to that, people have to understand the standards by which someone like myself or someone like you publishes. And first of all, you have to have eyewitnesses. There have to be people who are willing to go on the record and tell what happened. And they have to be people that aren't getting it secondhand from somebody else. They need to be somebody who, again, is a firsthand eyewitness to what happened. Secondly, there needs to be documentation. Um, doesn't, I mean, you can have one or the other, but documentation is always really, really helpful. And in this case, I had emails very verified by a first person witness, which were, uh, Jerry and Denise Basil, who were counselors involved. In this whole case with Lori Ann Thompson, who supposedly was getting these sexed uh, or was giving these nude pictures, uh, sending them by phone to Ravi Zacharias. Um, but we had these emails going back and forth between Ravi and her and these counselors, and those all have been verified. So that's a very, that's a verified document that's worthy of being printed. 
uh, phone records I have that were provided uh, through uh, the sister of Lorianne Thompson. And they look legit. We checked into them. Uh, again, these are legitimate phone records have showing cell phone calls between Robbie and this woman. We have a shipping invoice showing a gift from Zacharias to Lorianne Thompson. We have 10 years of tax returns because one of the the allegations against Brad and Lorianne Thompson was that they were in financial distress. And that's why they concocted this whole sexting relationship to entrap Ravi and then to extort money from him. Well, I got 10 years of tax returns from Brad Thompson showing that he wasn't in financial distress. Um, there's also a report by La, Brad and Lorianne Thompson's denomination showing that this pastor that they had been in a lawsuit with before the pastor had actually been found by the denomination of being guilty of clergy misconduct. So there's numerous things in this story. I had eyewitnesses as well um, who backed up the story. And so when things check out with firsthand witnesses, with documentation, then that's the kind of story you can go forward with. So again, we're not, we're not passing on rumors or gossip. We're reporting on an issue that's of significant public interest that has firsthand eyewitnesses and has documentation. So I say that's a solid story and one that's worthy of being reported. Well, Julie, of course I agree with you because we um, uh, have reported on that story as well. Though I will say that uh, you reported on it first, and I just want to give credit where credit is due, and also um, make the point that not every journalistic outlet draws the line in exactly the same place about what they consider to be enough documentation. And I, I want to push back just a little bit on that idea because I've gotten a lot of um, uh, listeners and readers on our website say that we use language like accusations or alleged sexual abuse. And they readers see those, those words, Julie, and they don't see past those words. They don't see past those words like accusations and alleged to all of this weight of documentation that you've already identified. Um, so why do we use, why do you use, why do I use words like alleged and accusations uh, whenever we're writing these stories? Well, because we haven't proved this, you know, in a court of law. This is something where we can report the eyewitnesses' accounts, and then what we do is we depend on the reader to draw their own conclusions. We don't tell people how to think. We present them with the evidence, and then we allow them to draw their own conclusions. And there are different standards, and there are things that you and I have wrestled about together sometimes, um, sometimes separately, and sometimes we come to different conclusions. And there's not a manual for everything. I mean, there is a manual in a way, but but take, for example, um, firsthand witnesses on the record. I almost never publish anonymous sources, almost never. But are there situations where I would? You know, well, yes, I, I would. And Christianity Today, you know that, that the story with the uh, massage therapists that were uh, allegedly, to use that word, again, it's an accusation that these women have brought forward. But these are anonymous women who said that Robbie Zacharias sexually abused them at these uh, spas that he co-owned. And so Christianity Today decided to publish these accounts. They verified that these were real persons. They, they know their names and they verified that they were associated with the business. And they talked to other people that then verified that and corroborated it as well. So 
they decided to go forward with it. I think they made the right decision, but there's going to be those that say, mm, no, I, 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 I disagree with that decision, and, and that's their right to do that. But the Bible is based on firsthand witnesses, right? The book of Luke is a firsthand, is someone who reported Luke firsthand stories. And then he allows us to draw our conclusions about those. So, I, yeah, I mean, that's what we do. And we can't know, you know, for sure whether everybody's telling the truth, but we report their story and again, allow people to draw their conclusions. Yeah, let me and let me just go on the record here with a couple of things, if I could, Julie. Um, you've published some things that I wouldn't have been willing to publish. Christianity Today's story um, that used anonymous sources. To be perfectly honest with you, I probably wouldn't have published that story. Um, however, I also want to say you guys were right. What we have subsequently discovered has confirmed and not refuted what you guys ended up publishing. And I just want to honor that and to acknowledge that and also say that these are tough calls, that it's hard to know sometimes in the moment, you know, which decision is going to be right or wrong. And, um, you know, and I think that our listeners um, should understand that. And I would just like to say, and Julie, I don't, I, I doubt you'll disagree with me about this. I hope our listeners pray for us because these are um, these are tough decisions, and we need wisdom and discernment to make them. A lot of times, absolutely. And I, I rarely, if ever, I, mean, I don't think I ever have uh, published a story that I have questions about without seeking the counsel of other Christians. And and, and with the Ravi story, I did. I reached out to several. Um, and discussed it. And again, I'm glad I published that story. I think it was worthy of being published. And I think had I not, um, I don't know. I don't know if all the stories would have come out. I think, and I think it was really important for the truth to come out. Well, I think that's right. Uh, so, But let's move on just a little bit. I'm still on the Ravi Zacharias story. Um, the next question that I get a lot is, Ravi's dead. He can't defend himself. Um we should just let the man be. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I actually did respond to it in an opinion piece that I published yesterday. But um, there's a number of, of different reasons why we publish. One, the accusations were raised, a lot of them, not the spa allegations. Those are recent. But the other ones, the ones about his credentials and the exaggerating and what was an outright lie to say he was a professor at Oxford. There's no truth in that whatsoever. He's never employed by Oxford. Um, and so... Those were those started coming out as early as 2015. Steve Boffman, who wrote the book Cover Up in the Kingdom, he started re reporting. He didn't actually publish till later, but he was calling RZIM and talking to people and asking about these um, these exaggerated credentials a long time, five years before Robbie died. So I think that's notable. And the sexting allegations again; they, those came out in 2017, and now we know that RZIM didn't do a thorough investigation, neither did the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So I think I think those are very valid. Two, the victims are still alive. Lorianne Thompson in 2017, uh, Ravi told the world after signing an, a non-disclosure agreement, which basically confined her to silence, he now, according to Boz Kavigian, who's Lorianne Thompson's lawyer, he says that Ravi Zacharias broke that NDA and told the entire world that Lorianne Thompson and Brad Thompson were extortionists and that she had preyed on him. 
where now with all the evidence coming out, it looks like the reverse was true, that Ravi had preyed on Lorianne and Brad. And so I think, I think that's important for the truth for the victims. But I think probably the main reason that I think it's important to publish is that the scrutiny that these allegations have, have prompted into RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, shows again, I mentioned the sham investigation in 2017. I mean, why didn't they look at why didn't they look into the phone records? The emails that I got where Ravi threatened suicide, and then you see the context of them. He never once says when Lorianne Thompson reaches out to him and says, I'm breaking off this relationship, and how dare you to 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 lead me and to ask me for these things. I mean, he never once says, oh, I never did that. He responds, are you going to tell your husband? You know, Are you going to tell him it's me? And if you do, I'm going to have to bid this world goodbye. I mean, did, did RZIM get all those emails? And if so, why didn't they do something? And then we have, you know, more issues that I know you've reported on for a while. I've been reporting on them for a while. That in 2015, RZIM uh, reclassified as an association of churches. So we don't know their finances. We don't know, we know some of their finances because they do do a, they publish a financial report, but it doesn't publish the salaries of the executives. It doesn't tell us who the names of the of people are who are on the board. And now we know in 2015, the board was, Ravi was the chairman. His wife, Margie, was the uh, vice chairman. His daughter, Sarah Davis, who's now the CEO of RZIM, was a director. And so you have a board that's really controlled by the Zacharias family. And then you have the Zacharias and all the positions, you know, at least uh, some really main positions of authority in RZIM. So there's a lot of red flags here that people weren't willing to look at that I'm hoping now they are willing to look at and they're hoping and I'm hoping that they're going to hold RZIM accountable for them. Well, you've already answered, uh, Julie, at least in part, my ne- my next question and final question about this is that, you know, what good can come of it? Ra- Ravi's uh, dead and gone. Um, you know, why, uh, w- w- you know, what, what possible, um, uh, good can come out of this, but you, again, you've already just answered a part of that is, and that is that that the Christian and Missionary Alliance have much to answer for. Ravi Zacharias International Ministries has much to answer for. The uh, victims uh, need some level of justice, and it's also possible that other victims might be out there uh, who could come forward, and this might give them courage to do so as well. And it also, I think, becomes a warning to other ministry leaders that. That there is no statute of limitations um, on wrongdoing whenever you are the leader of a of a global ministry. That um, that you know the truth will out in the end, and you should live your life accordingly. Absolutely, and let's not forget this is a ministry that takes in thirty to forty million dollars a year. This is a ministry that has to be held accountable, and those those funds, if they're being misused, might be directed in another area or this this organization uh, may need to be restructured or you know I don't know what's going to happen with RZIM but the the truth is yeah it really needs reform and I hope that people listening will will be a part of that and will ask for it and and actually demand it 
because that's what we need from our organizations that are that are taking our donor money. Well, Julie, we've got to take a break, but when we come back, um, a lot more stories that we want to cover, but I'm going to focus on uh, probably one in particular, uh, some recent happenings related to James McDonald, um, new, some new developments in the last week or two on that story as well. I'm Warren Smith. Uh, this week, my guest is Julie Royce. You're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. It will return right after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Warren Smith with Ministry Watch, and my guest this week is Julie Royce of The Royce Report. You know, Julie, before the break, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about James McDonald. Uh, there's been a new development, and that is that James McDonald's home, which had been in foreclosure, has been released from those foreclosure proceedings. But it was kind of a complicated road to get to that point. Uh, can you fill us in a little bit? Sure. Yeah, it was a complicated road. Um, earlier this year, we learned that a bank that held the mortgage for that home is like a one and a half million dollar home in Elgin, Illinois, which is on the kind of the western edge of the Chicago suburbs. Um, that bank uh, filed foreclosure proceedings. Uh, at that time, James McDonald owed about $900,000 on the home. He also had tens of thousands of dollars in overdue taxes. And, uh, you know, James McDonald, if, if people aren't aware, had been fired by Harvest Bible Chapel back in uh, January or February of 2019 uh, because of and one of the things was his mismanagement of funds, although some of a lot of that uh, came out later, how how grossly mismanaged it was but also for making lewd comments and different things like that. So he had no income, presumably, for you know about 18 months and had actually uh, been living in a trailer, at least at one point, in the parking lot of a church in the L.A. area. Um, so there was a lot of, um, you know, people were wondering at the time, is this for real? Does he really have no money? Or is this just a ruse? Because James McDonald filed... Uh, a claim for arbitration with Harvest Bible Chapel for firing him and also for ownership of Walk in the Word, which was his uh, broadcast ministry. So in mid-August, James McDonald settled with Harvest Bible Chapel, but we didn't even know about this. Julie, let me pause you there because that's an important point. I mean, uh, Harvest had pledged transparency in this process. And uh, they had promised to, you know, make all of these um, settlements and and uh, findings available to the public. So whenever they settled with James McDonald, whenever the church settled with James McDonald, and we didn't even know about it, that was a, a pretty much a direct violation of the promise that they had made to the public and to their own church. Is that accurate or not? 
Absolutely accurate. And and that's what I had been hearing from Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, every now and then I'd run into, like I ran run into an elder at uh, a function and, hey, it's all going to come out. Yeah, we're going to tell you, you'll, you'll hear what's happening. We can't talk about it now, but eventually we will. You know, it's kind of that promise that, hey, when this happens, we'll let you know. And the way that I found out was I was reading, uh, it was a, a something that was filed in an James McDonald's lawsuit against Mancow Muller, which if people don't know, uh, James McDonald sued Mancow Muller for defamation. Um, and so this, this is an ongoing lawsuit right now. And so there was something filed in it. And in that lawsuit, and it's just sort of tucked in there, there was this uh, appeal to a protective order because Mancow Muller is trying to get information because he's been sued for defamation. So he's trying to get information on James McDonald's finances, because that's one of the supposed lies that Mancal Muller told about McDonald's. So he's like trying to get more documentation and information. Well, um, James McDonald appeals to this protective order that was achieved in mid-August when there was this arbitration settlement with Harvest. So that's how I found out about it was in these documents. And this protective order apparently has made everything confidential about the arbitration settlement with McDonald. But here, McDonald, within, you know, just a month or two of this settlement, he's somehow settled with the bank, which means he's probably paid the, the mortgage that was owed up until that point, And he's paid the back taxes and he seems to be setting up shop and have money to do that. So where did he get the money? Well, presumably the money came through the arbitration settlement, which has made a lot of Harvest Bible Chapel uh, do current donors and former donors really upset because James McDonald, they feel, has already taken millions from them and misused that money. And now he's gotten a, a settlement on top of this. I know there are a lot of people who felt the church should have sued him and taken him to court and, and recovered some of that money. But instead, James McDonald got money. Well, and a couple of uh, uh, Harvest staff members have recently uh, resigned. Is that Was that a, a related to this in any way? Well, I and I don't have anything I can report. <laughs> Speaking of firsthand witnesses who will go on the record, um, but uh, that's certainly the context. They decided in August that they were going to resign, and this is when the, the settlement was reached. So, did they have disagreements? Did was that part of their decision making? That's not what they said in their public statements. But of course, that's some of the question that's surrounding this. But again, yeah, two top pastors, uh, Greg Bradshaw, which would be the lead ministry pastor at the church right now. They're looking for a senior pastor, but hadn't been able to find one. Um, so Greg uh, stepped down citing a wall of exhaustion, which I can't even imagine trying to lead the church through this scandal and then the financial difficulty and, and everything else and trying to change a culture because there was an entire culture of secrecy and abuse there. And changing that culture, you know, some have said, is that just like, is that like trying to turn a ship that just won't turn? And and I don't know. We will see. Um, but the other pastor, Ed Ollie, I mean, he's he was a campus pastor of one of the six campuses at, at Harvest. So it's it's a big blow for Harvest people. Yep. Well, stay tuned, I guess, is the is the answer to that story. And we'll have more. Hopefully you'll have more for all of us later. Julie, uh, we need to kind of uh, 
land this plane, so to speak, bring us uh, bring our time to a close. But before we do that, I I want to step back from these two stories, Ravi Zacharias and James McDonald, that we focus on today, and I want to ask you a question. But before I do that, I want to kind of make this point as context. Um, Ravi Zacharias and James McDonald were not fringe players in evangelicalism. In other words, they weren't like Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland, who were kind of out there on the prosperity gospel edge. Um, and the last time you were on the program, we talked a good bit about your background, including your time at Moody Bible Institute and the troubles that you experienced there. And once again, Moody Bible Institute, a venerable old organization that was kind of in the middle uh, of the evangelical movement for most of the 20th century. Um, it is an organization that you know, kind of defines what it means, in fact, to be evangelical. So with that context, here's my question. What does all this say about evangelicalism? Is the evangelical apple rotten to the core, or do we just have a few bruises that need to be cut off? Well, I would say the evangelical industrial complex or celebrity machine, however you want to term that, that that is pretty rotten to the core. And people need to realize that there is an entire system of... Um, you, you come to my conference, I'll endorse your book. We'll, we'll both speak at this event that we're going to do. We'll, you know, and then the other publishers involved in, in their financial interest. And there's just a whole entire system of ministry partners. We used to call them at Moody, but these ministry partners, like I remember once when I was going to publish um, a commentary, and it was critical of James McDonald is back when he was doing this Elephant Room conference. And I remember being told, no, you're not going to publish that because he's one of our ministry partners, and we don't ever criticize our friends. Friends, that's a, that's a problem. And, and it's rampant within evangelicalism right now. And this is the thing I've learned, is that there is an elite class in evangelicalism, and it's not that large of a group. It's a, it's a rather small group, and they all know each other really, really well. And a lot of them knew about the misdeeds of each other and didn't say anything. And so the, the level of complicity and the level of financial um, interest and conflicts of interest within evangelicalism right now is pretty widespread. And so I... I think the reform that needs to happen is just massive, absolutely massive, in my opinion. I don't know what you think, Warren. Well, you know, I think basically the same thing. I, I want to be really clear, and I don't think you would disagree with this one bit, uh, Julie, that the vast majority of pastors and deacons and elders and others involved in Christian ministry in this country are 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 doing so faithfully and sacrificially and um and, uh, you know, I just want to applaud them. In fact, from my point of view, that's why uh, we exist here at Ministry Watch, uh, is that we want to expose those in the, as you called it, the Christian industrial complex or the celebrity star-making machine in evangelicalism so that, um, that they don't give the vast majority of those in ministry a bad name. Because I, I really don't think that evangelicalism is rotten to the core, but I agree with you that I think that there are um, these stars in evangelicalism, these celebrities that um, that just don't have any accountability and they don't have any transparency, and that is a breeding ground for real problems. So absolutely, I guess I'm mostly agreeing with you. Yeah, and I agree with you too that the majority of them 
the majority of pastors and Christians within evangelicalism are wonderful people, yep. godly people. Yep. Well, Julie, we've got to come to a close here. It's uh, been great to have you on the uh, podcast again. Look forward to having you back in the future. But until then, I know we've mentioned briefly the James McDonald story that probably have some new developments coming in the next month or so. But what else are you working on? Can we get a peek inside your pipeline? Well, I am working on a story right now about Willow Creek Community Church. They have gone through or are going through a massive, massive reorganization and it's not going smoothly at all. In fact, at, at one campus, North Shore campus, uh, the pastor there has left. 13 jobs were eliminated through this centralization that they're doing. 10 of them opted out and said they didn't want to be a part. Uh, 10 of the staff opted out and won't be a part of the new jobs they were offered. And there was a meeting last week about this that was absolutely packed. Um, and People are really upset. In fact, there's, there's, I've heard calls from some people. They want to secede from the mother church. They want to be their own church. But of course, the mother church owns their very large, very nice building. So will that happen? Uh, it's, it's, it's concerning, very concerning. And I, I think Willow Creek really needs our prayers right now. Yeah, well, absolutely. We will pray for them. And uh, Julie, we'll pray for you too. Thank you so much for being on the program one more time. And uh, I appreciate the work that you're doing and the partnership that we have. You know, you talked about ministry partners. Let's just stipulate for the record, money does not change hands between <laughs> between <laughs> Ministry Watch and the Roy's Report. Nope. But we do share each other's content and we cheer each other on whenever we're working on our respective stories. So God bless you and thank you for being on the program today. Uh, to find out more about the Roy's Report and the stories that we've discussed today, you can go to roysreport.com. That's R-O-Y-S report.com. And of course, to find out more about Ministry Watch, you can go to ministrywatch.com. A couple of quick housekeeping items before we go. Um, if you rate this program on your podcast app, that is a simple and free way for you to help the program. The more ratings we have for reasons that I don't understand, <laughs> the more ratings we have, uh, the more likely it is that our program will get picked up by search algorithms. So it's um, a way to help us. And I will say that even though Julie and I don't exchange money between each other, I would uh, like to say that we are, in fact, both donor-supported. And you can donate to either the Roy's Report or to Ministry Watch by going to our respective websites, and there's a, a donate button on the front page of both of our sites. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy, and we get database technical and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, along with my guest this week, Julie Royce, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>